hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. And Merry Christmas. I hope you all had a, uh, I'm a little hot. That's not my wife saying that, this is me. Um, is my, my microphone's just a little, there we, okay, thank you. Um, hope you had a great Christmas, uh, great time with family. Um, welcome back to Discovery Point Church. We're glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just thank you for an awesome time of worship. Lord, just to be reminded that you are faithful. And if we were to look back over our lives, we would see that that is indeed true. You are always faithful, even to us. And Lord, I love what Brian said, is that we are no longer slaves to fear. We don't have to be fearful concerning things that we don't have control over, concerning things that we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but we know that you hold tomorrow and that you're in control of everything. And because of that, we can rest and not be afraid of whatever might come our way. And Lord, may we take these truths this morning and like Mary, may we ponder them and hide them in our heart and may we live them out today. And as we come to your word, I just pray that you would give us understanding and may we be encouraged uh, to share the good news of great joy. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And you who were here uh, online, welcome. We're glad that you're here as well. Well, Christmas is over. The gifts have all been unwrapped. We've eaten and gotten a little, little more stout this morning. And, and yet it seems that the world has already forgotten about Christmas and is focused on New Year's Eve and the party that will come with that. But, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the responsibility to not allow the good news of great joy to fade into the background one day after Christmas. See, the, the good news of great joy is not just for December. And it goes far beyond December 25th. The good news of great joy is for each and every day. Dare I say, it is for each and every moment in each and every day. As we live our lives and interact with others, they need to know about this good news of great joy. And so today we're going to unpack the the gift of Christmas, this, this gift that came with the good news of great joy, this gift that was the good news of great joy. We're going to unpack that today. And in a seat near you, there's a, there's a little plastic baggie like this, and it's got a string and, and some beads. And if, if you didn't get one, uh, young, young folks, and you want one, there's a basket in the back on the table, and it's got plenty. Go grab one. We're just going to go through and talk about the gift that God gave us. So if you don't have one, please feel free to get up. It's okay. Walk to the back table. There's a basket full of these. Go grab one. Uh, 
I've always been told, if you want people to remember something, repeat it over and over and over and over, at least seven to ten times. Or you can take a little craft like this, this, this bracelet, and you can build it and wear it on your, on your wrist as a reminder of the good news of great joy. As a reminder of what God did for us. And I won't hold you long, but I just want us to be aware and to remember going into this next year, Lord willing, of what life is really all about. See, the good news of great joy begins, well, in the book of beginnings, in the, in the book of Genesis, where we see God creating everything. And he created for six days. On the seventh day, he ceased from creating but when he examined what he had created, God said, it is very good. And we learn in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man. And God says this through Moses, Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Period. End of sentence. And so God created mankind, male and female, in his own image. And what that means is simply this, is that we have the capacity for relationship, to emote, to, to think logically, to, to feel, to have a need for fellowship, to have a need for communion with one another. Just as God is in communion with himself in the, in the Trinity, so we can have communion with God and with one another. And so he created us, he says, in his own image. And he also created us to bring himself glory. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, tells us this. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory and dominion uh, be forever and ever. Amen. God created us to bring himself glory in everything that we do. Dare I say, no matter where we go, be it work or the marketplace or to hang out with family, we are to glorify God. And so God created man, called him Adam, fashioned a wife. The man called her Eve's eventually, but he places the man in a garden to tend, to take care of, in a perfect environment. And God gave him one rule, one prohibition. Genesis 2, 16, God tells the man this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And God gave the man the job of tending and taking care of the garden and to freely eat from the trees except for that one tree in the middle of the garden. But after some time, and we don't know how much time passed between the time God gave the prohibition and the time we get to Genesis 3. But in Genesis 3, Satan shows up on the scene. 
And as you know, Satan is a liar, and he is the father of lives, and the truth is not in him, and he hates God, and he hates anything that God stands for, and he hates anyone who stands for God. And so Satan enters the garden. Oh, by the way, on the slides, there are going to be some hints as to which beat goes on first. So let's pay it, keep your eyes open, and I'll help you out. So Satan enters the garden. And the scripture says this about Satan, or the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. He was more cunning. He was more conniving than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, not to Adam, but to the woman, Indeed, did God really say, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the answer to that, well, yeah, God did say that. And the woman replies and says, well, God said that we can eat from all the trees in the garden, except for the one in the middle. We're not to eat from it, nor are we to touch it. And Eve added a little bit. God never said you can't touch it. God said, don't eat from it. And so Satan responds and gets her to question God. You won't surely die when you eat from it. God knows that when you eat, you're going to be just like him. In other words, God is holding something back from you. God is not as good as he seems because he wants to keep something from you. He wants to keep you from being just like him, knowing good and evil. And some time passes as the serpent tempts Eve. And we don't know how much time passed or how often he came to her to tempt her. But what we find is that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, here's what happens when the woman saw that the, that the, the, the tree was good for food and that it was a, a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from, it, from its fruit and ate, and she gave to that knucklehead with her. <laughs> and he ate. And he knew better. And yet Adam chose to disobey God. You know, that's the great question of the century. Why would a man created innocent, sinless, in a perfect environment, why would he choose to disobey God? Well, God gave him the choice, and he made the choice. But the result of his choice has consequences. And so the result of Adam and Eve's sin was that the close relationship was, with God was now lost. No more walking through the garden in the cool of the day with, with, with their creator. No more intimacy. The, the fellowship with God was broken. No more intimacy. That was destroyed. Sin and death, as a result of their sin, entered the world. And Isaac, if you click on the, there you go. Sin and death entered the world, and it marred the image of God within man. It didn't destroy it. We still bear the image of God, but now because of sin, it's been marred. And it's been marred with the, the black, dark stain of sin. See that? That's your first clue. First bead is the black bead, which represents the sin that because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were now corrupted by sin. And as a result, their offspring are now corrupted by sin. And their offspring are corrupted by sin. And their offspring 
are corrupted by sin until we get to the 21st century when we're all corrupted by sin because of our, our, our first parents. And so even in their sin, I find it interesting that God was gracious and merciful to Adam and Eve because he slew an animal and made skins of cloth, clothes of skin for them because they found some scratchy, itchy fig leaves to hide themselves because they realized, oh, we're naked. And so God covered them. And we have the very first sacrifice for sin found in Scripture. But God was still merciful yet. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, look at what God says. It's on the screen. God says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. See, had Adam and Eve eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived in that sinful state forever. But God in his mercy and grace drove them out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life. That's a merciful act. Well, this puts us in a pickle. Because if God expects perfection from you and from me as we live our lives, and yet we find ourselves being sinful because of Adam and Eve in the garden, how do we please a holy God? How do we please a righteous and just God? And sin, because of Adam and Eve, has so controlled and so rules our hearts, our hearts and our thoughts that God says this in Genesis chapter 6, 5 about humanity. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Isaac, will you move on to the next? There you go. God saw that the intent of our heart wasn't to help each other out, it's to beat each other down and was only evil continually. Go to bed thinking about evil things to do. Wake up thinking about evil things to do. Do evil things throughout the day. And then go to bed trying to top those evil things the very next day. And so if we're sinful and we are marred by sin, and that's, that is a truth from Scripture, how do we please a holy God? Next slide, Isaac. Okay, never mind. Um, who will save us then from our sinful state? How can we satisfy the wrath of a holy God against sin? Well, enter, well, let me say this. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you're from. How good looking you are. How rich you are. How poor you are. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us, all of humanity, has sinned and falls short of God's standard, which is perfection. Here's a test. When you leave today and you hit Happy Valley, when somebody cuts you off, capture that thought. <laughs> but we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Romans 6.23 simply says this, that the wages of sin 
is death, separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who will save us from our sinful state? I mean, all we have to do to satisfy God is be perfect all the time, each and every day for the rest of our lives. Oh, and by the way, when you're born, you've already blown it. Matter of fact, even when you're in the womb, you've blown it. So we don't have a chance. Enter the good news of great joy. We've been talking about this for the past three weeks. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel shows up to the shepherds at night and says to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Somebody who saved you from your sins, who was Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so God sent his son. And Jesus came with a purpose. And the angel that came to Joseph, Mary's husband, the one whom she was betrothed to, told him simply this that Mary's going to bear a son. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The only way to satisfy the wrath of a holy God and a just God and a righteous God is through his son and placing our faith and our trust in him for our salvation. See, Jesus was born, placed in a feeding trough. We, don't, we know nothing about his youth, but when we meet him in the scripture, he is starting his ministry, and he has lived a perfect and sinless life. The life that we could never live, he lived. And he treated everybody with love and with respect and with grace and with mercy, and yet men, both Jews and Gentiles, slandered him, hated him, planned to kill him, set up that plan with the Romans, accused him of things he didn't do. The Bible says that they, they spat on him as they led him to the cross. It says that they, they slapped him and beat him as he was headed to the cross. It says that they scourged him. Here's what I find interesting about scourging. The Jews were given the law by God to only scourge somebody or beat somebody 40 times. 40 times was the limit. But in order not to break the law, they would only scourge or beat somebody 39 times so that they wouldn't break God's law. The Romans had no such law. So imagine being beaten with a little short whip, cat of nine tails, with pieces of metal and glass and sharpened bone in it, so that every time you got struck, it would pull out chunks of flesh. And the Romans had no limit to the number of times they would scourge you. I guess they would do it till they got tired or they got bored with you. But Jesus endured this for our sake. 
they fashioned a crown of thorns. And I don't know if you've ever been stuck by a thorn. We have a lemon tree out back in our backyard. And sometimes I've got to reach in around to get to the lemon. And sometimes, boom, I get, it, it hurts. Because the thorns are, you know, four or five inches. But imagine having a, some thorns fashioned into a crown and then thrust on your brow. That's what Jesus endured for us. And then they crucified him. They put him on a cross. They put him to shame in the public square for folks to come by and to mock him. He trusted in his God. Let his God get him down. And they, they took his clothes and they cast lots for him. As he hung there, bleeding, suffering, dying in our place. See, that should have been us because of our sin. But God sent his son who lived a sinless life to take our place on the cross. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. There was a penalty to be paid because we defended a holy God. And Jesus was our substitute. He hung on the cross for you and for me. And he satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. Before he died, what did he say? It is finished. It's an accounting term to tell us that paid in full. And then he gave up his life and he died for you and for me. See, Jesus shed his red blood. There's the next clue. That's the next bead. To pay the price for our sins. You getting the hang of this now? All right. He shed his red blood to pay, for the, to pay the price for our sin. And as a result of his sacrifice on our behalf, on behalf of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can now have our sins forgiven. And not just covered over, but removed forever because of what he's done. See, when he, when he paid the price for our sins, it was a one-time deal. He paid the price and, for the, and it has ongoing effects. It's like Teflon. Nothing sticks to us anymore. Because we've been forgiven if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Oh, we still sin, but it's been forgiven. Past, present, and future. And so he was our substitute on the cross. As a result of his work on the cross, we can now have peace with God. Again, not a truce, but true peace. And we can have fellowship with God now like Adam and Eve had in the garden. We can have that intimacy with God the Father, which is what he created us for. And we can have fellowship and intimacy with one another the way God meant it to be. Where we can love each other the way God loves us because of what he has done. But we got to do something first. Number one, we got to believe the gospel. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. He says this, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, let me pause it for a minute, and I agree with what Pastor Greg said yesterday. Believing is not just head knowledge, but we have to get what's up here, and it, it needs to transfer down to our heart. Well, I'm sorry, Hebrew. To our heart, it's bowels. 
It's not just what we know, but it's also believing in our hearts the gospel message. That's when we will be saved. Okay, let me continue on. Ephesians 1. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. When we believe the gospel here in our hearts, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and he seals us until the day of redemption. And then he begins a work in us where we now are able to, here's a word, repent. See, we believe, when we believe the gospel, Jesus takes his red blood and he washes that black stain of sin. He applies it to, to our sin. And suddenly we become, and you can't see it because it's, it's white, but white as snow. <laughs> see, you can't see it, it's gone. That wasn't intentional, by the way. <laughs> But he takes the red blood, applies it to our, the stain of sin, and he washes us white as snow. Teflonized, that's a tolzism. That's the next beat, the white beat. And once he's washed us white as snow, he calls us to repent. That's a part of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit will be begin to convict us, convict us of our sin, and begin to change us so that we turn from our sin. And you know what? Truth be told, doesn't happen overnight. I'm a prime example. When, when Jesus saved me, I wasn't Mr. Holy and Righteous the very next day when I truly understood the gospel. I was still doing the same things I was doing the day before. But there was something different. Because now there was conviction. Now the Holy Spirit would say, Rod, you know better. Why did you do that? You know you shouldn't do that. You know you shouldn't go there. And there was this conviction. And I began to repent of all of my sin as the Holy Spirit began to work in my life. Now, he's not done with me. Don't ask my wife. But he's not done with me. But I am further along today than I was when God first saved me. And I love what David says in, 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 in Psalm 51, where Nathan, the, 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 the prophet, has, has come to David because David has been running from God for about a year after his sin with Bathsheba, and he hasn't addressed it. And so God sends Nathan to, to talk to David. And look at what David says in Psalm 51, um, where he pins his repentance. He, he says, be gracious to me, O God according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Transgressions, excuse me, plural. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, that's repentance. Is turning from our sin. And David asked the Lord, Lord, help me with this. Cleanse me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And this is a part of our salvation. To be saved and also to repent of our sin. And as we begin to live this Christian life, Jesus has given us two commands. To take communion that we might remember him. 
that we might remember his sacrifice on the cross for us, but also out of obedience to him to be baptized. Oh, you got this now. See, it's the blue one, right? All right. To be baptized out of obedience to him. Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, tells his disciples this in the upper room. It says that when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me so that we don't forget the great sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And over Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, as he's about to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples this, go, that's, that's the command, by the way, go, or as you are going, it's present participle, as you are going, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and lo, here's why you don't have to have fear. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But we are to be baptized so that we can identify publicly with Jesus and we can come out of the closet and say that we follow Jesus. We don't have to hide our Christianity anymore. So when you go to work, you don't have to put your, your, your Christianity under your coat. You can let the world know, I identify with Jesus Christ because the world needs him. And as we live out our Christian life, Jesus expects us to grow. That's the green one, if you can't see that. He expects us to grow so that everyone can experience his love through us. I know there are some churches that teach that when you are saved, you can live any kind of way. That's not true. Jesus wants us to grow so that we can be examples to others of his grace and his mercy and his goodness. Peter, in 2 Peter 3.18, reminds the church this. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. He says to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to know who Jesus is. Amen. Does that sound familiar? Amen. We want to know him. We want to know who he is. And we need to let others know about him through how we live our lives. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the growth part. And here's the thing. It's a lifelong journey. It really is. It is a lifelong journey. Peter also, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, reminds the church of this. He says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, leaving an example for you, excuse me, to follow in his steps. We need to be living our lives the way he did exhibiting love and grace and mercy and compassion to everybody that we encounter. Yeah. I, was, I was on the way to worship this morning, and I realized when I got in my car, I didn't get gas Friday night. And I thought, well, I could try to make it, but I'll probably run out before I get there. So I stopped to get gas and pull into the service station, 
um, to, to, to put some gas in my, in my car. And as I'm pumping gas, you know, I hate it when people come over and say, excuse me, I know what that means. And I had a guy walk up to me, I'm trying to get the Prescott. Do you have a few dollars you could get me for gas? And at first I was a little annoyed. I was like, come on, I'm trying to get the church. Come on, leave me alone. Just don't, just go, 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 please, please, please. Go away, go away. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I said, sorry, I can't help you. Now, that was a lie because I could have helped him. And God reminded me of a time when I was in seminary and this same kind of instance happened, but I just kept, I looked the other way, kept going. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. Rod, come on, be real. You're getting ready to go preach to people. How are you going to and he just beat me up. You can't see the, you can't see the bruises because they're under my shirt. So. And so I just, okay, you know what? I've got some change. I've got some dollars that I really don't need. I'll probably just waste them eating a hamburger like I need it or something. So I said, dude, come here. And I helped this guy out. So Lord bless you. And what's he going to do with it? I don't have a clue. But I trust God because the Holy Spirit said, dude, come on. And then I had to repent because I was annoyed. See, our sanctification is progressive. And each and every day, we ought to be a little more like Jesus. And sometimes we take a step back, like I did this morning. But repentance was quick. I didn't wait a year like David. It's like, okay, Lord, let me help this brother out. I don't know him. Not my business. You take care of him. And I was able to help this young man out. I was gracious after getting beat up by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> which is a good thing. That means I'm, I'm, I belong to him. And so we have to grow in our walk with Jesus each and every day. And one day, our hope is going to be realized it's going to be made reality when we will live eternally with Jesus Christ. That's, that's gold if you can't see it on the screen. I know it's light. One day, our hope is going to be made reality. The thing that we long for, to see Jesus face to face and to live with him forever is going to happen. Whether we, we die and go to be with him or he comes back for us, either way, our hope will be realized, and we will live with Jesus eternally. And get this, there will be no sin, and we will be unable to sin, and we will be able to see Jesus face to face and have fellowship with him and God the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever and ever. You know how long that lasts? It never ends. It is forever. Uh, the Apostle John, in, 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 in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give, them, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. I love that. When Jesus gives us life eternal, it is forever. And you don't have to die to have eternal life. You've got it now. That's why we don't have to be afraid 
We don't have to fear death. Death is just a doorway into to life eternal. And to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one that we say we love and long to see. John also says in, in 1 John 2, verse 25, he says, this is the promise which he made himself to us, eternal life. Now, last time I checked, Jesus never lied. Unlike somebody in the room, you know, we, won't, we won't go there. But here's the deal. He promised us eternal life. And if Jesus promises us eternal life and he gives us eternal life, then we have eternal life. And we know that we will live with him forever and ever. Lastly, John says this, 1 John 5, 13. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know without a doubt that you have eternal life. That is our hope to see our Savior face to face and to live with him. So did you get your bracelet put all together? So let's, let's, let's review. God, God created us to glorify him, right? Yeah, but sin separated us from God. And in, at the right time in history, God sent his son to shed his blood, his blood for our sins. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can be forgiven. We can believe the gospel and we can repent of our sins. And then we can be baptized. And then God expects us not to sit idly by, but to grow. To grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To live our lives the way he lived his life so that others might see him in us. And then we know that one day we will live with him forever. In his presence, in the presence of God the Father, we will live. Does that make sense? See, this is why there's such good news of great joy. And it needs to be every day, not just on Christmas, December 25th or December 24th. This is the message of the gospel. So if you put this on your desk, hang it from your dash, put it around your wrist, use it to remind you of the gospel and the great news that comes with it, that God loves us and he sent his son to die. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for the good news of great joy. Thank you that we can have our sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, help us to not allow this message, this good news of great joy, to fade away as we enter the new year. But help us to share this everywhere we go, to everybody that we meet. Holy Spirit, empower us to put our grievances and, and our, our own shortcomings behind us so that you might work out your will in our lives and through our lives, we pray. And Lord Jesus, may it begin today. May it begin right now. May we share this good news with all that we encounter. 
And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.